die from being too hungover? Is Ben Vogel a radioactive superhero? Have you ever put your hand inside a lion's mouth? All this and more on this episode of Northerner's Guide to Horror. And welcome to episode 6 of Northerner's Guide to Horror with me, a disastrously hungover Kia Ferguson and a recently hungover but no longer hungover learned man, Toby Hewitt. Hello. <laughs> a rocky, rocky error and I'm suffering the consequences of that. And it's your own fault. That's the worst thing, isn't it, about mm, this is that like it's always your own fault. Yeah. yeah. At the time, it's all big and clever. But then the next day, and I just can't do it anymore. I'm too old. It's yeah, finally happened. You've hit that moment now. The first thing I want to ask you then about this week is what is the most hungover you have ever been <laughs> at the point where you thought you might die? <laughs> that is a good question. I'm trying to think of a situation where I've had to do something important and I've been yeah. absolutely off it. Traveling's yeah. always a killer, isn't it? Traveling hungover. Yes. Yeah. The worst. I, the worst I've actually uh, ever seen someone wasn't myself having to travel. Mm. It was a friend of mine uh, who was about to get a long haul flight, but he thought he thought he had another day before <laughs> the flight. Okay. So he got absolutely annihilated on oh, the dear. evening. Yeah. And then he thought he had another full day to recover, and he woke up in the morning, and the friends he was with was like, "No, mate, we're flying in like four hours. Get your oh, shit together. God, we're that's off." Terrible. That and, is a nightmare. Yeah, he looked a right mess. Me, I obviously can't imagine any other hangover worse than the one I currently have yeah, because you have fair. to live in the hangover at that moment. Yeah, time means nothing. Yeah, I've, I've thought of a pretty bad one. There's a few, but I've been trying to kind of race through my memories as. So I've been sitting here. Um, I remember when I lived in uh, in Hiroshima, um, and I think this is the first time I've mentioned this, so no one can have a go at me for saying I bring it up all the time. Um, when I lived in Hiroshima in Japan, um, I remember I had a lot of mates who um, wanted to do stuff early in the morning who were really like proactive and, and energetic, and I'd always agree to do stuff. Um, so I'd always want to be social. But I also always wanted to get drunk every single night. So I'd make all of these morning plans with people excitedly. And then they'd wake me up by ringing my doorbell, expecting me to be ready for a three-hour hike. So this this happened quite a lot. And I remember one particular day, we weren't even doing anything particularly intense. I think I'd just agreed to go and have a coffee in, in the city. And that was it. But I remember getting off the bus thinking... I'm going to be sick. I need to be sick immediately. And I'd got off the bus at the the Peace Memorial Park, which is the memorial to the, the A-bombing of Hiroshima. And I'm in the park now, and I need to be sick. And I was very aware that what was about to happen did not make me feel good on an ethical level, but I was definitely as... As someone from a country that had been heavily involved with the awful atrocity that was done to these people, that this memorial represented, I was about to to vomit in that in that actual memorial. This excites me because I didn't realise that we shared this. I've forgotten about um, it until now. We shared this joint thing of being sick in inappropriate places <laughs> or uh, at, at, at renowned monuments yeah. around the world. Because I was sick in a bin outside the Taj Mahal, but that wasn't a hungover job. That was a dodgy bug on a bottle of Fanta job. Yeah, yeah. No one complains. And you do. That. You're like, I, I, this is not the time and place for <laughs> yeah. me to throw up but there is nothing i can do about it you're suddenly intensely aware of the historic relationship between your country and the one that you're in in a very horrible tangible way yeah so i mean i, I know you can die from drinking too much of course you can yeah but can you die from being too hungover don't know something Ooh, that'd be a horrible way like, to go yeah oh but but you, uh, at least you'd have the hope that it would end 
Yeah. <laughs> so you that will least... finally end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I disappear off this podcast momentarily, it's to go and be sick. Good. I'll just assume that you died. <laughs> this week we watched Audition. A request from you, this one. 1999 Japanese film. And it was freaky. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I dealt with it all right, actually. Mm. It, it didn't really, really disturb me, but it okay. was a bit upsetting to watch, yes. if that makes sense. Yeah, there's no red wine. I wouldn't imagine there's a lot of red wine moments, but it's unsettling. It is just more creepy. Um, why did you Why did you pick this one, Tobes? Why, does this, why do you hate this film? Not hate this film. Why <laughs> does this film, film upset you so much? It's a really good question. I always say to people that this is one of the only horror films that has actually unsettled me deeply, and there aren't many. Um, we'll probably get to the, the other couple of them that exist as, uh, as the show goes on. So this is one of maybe three films that genuinely make me feel unwell. Because being scared or frightened or, or unsettled is not usually part of the viewing experience for me with horror films. I enjoy them for different reasons, I think. This one, I, I, I totally get that, hor- that horrified response to it. I watched it when I was at university. I lived in a big old house in the north. Didn't want to leave the north of England. And I lived in the attic. And I watched this film on my own at about 3am, because I was a university student. That's what you do. Yep. And it was during, I think, the Christmas holidays. So everybody else that I lived with had gone back home. So it was just me at the top of this house on my own in the dark at 3am. And it sent me to a very weird place psychologically. What bothers me most is that he falls into an uncertain point in time where he's not sure where he is in this chronology and how much of yeah. it is magic and how much yeah. is real. And I think that... That perspective you get immersed into on such a an intense level that really freaked me out. And then obviously the last thirty minutes is just absolutely horrible gore. And again, gore is not usually something that bothers me, but in this film, it's you kind of feel yourself wincing every time she's. It's, it's proper oh, disturbing gore in this. Yeah, my yeah. Uh, my girlfriend had to get up and walk out. She couldn't mm. do the last the end of this film. It was too much for her. I get that, yeah. And it's quite rare. It's quite rare that she'll do that, but yeah, no, it was it was just too much. The whole premise of the film is about this guy who's trying to find mm. a new wife. Mm. And he works for this television media company. And they set up interviews for a new role um, that he uses, him and his pal use as an excuse to audition women to be his new wife that he wants mm. to try and then get to know a bit better and he's basically just a really lonely guy so it starts with yeah. his wife dying in hospital and the kid coming in to see his mom and then mm. it just jumps seven years later when his dad is just really lonely and the son tells him that he should get remarried mm. he's too lonely he needs to sort it out so he doesn't know how to go about this and then his pal that he works with helped him set up this audition process for a new wife, which is creepy in itself. Oh, yeah, it's really messed up. There's a real sense of female revenge in this film. He's such a sympathetic character for so many reasons, but that central thing of him lying about this audition and auditioning all of these women and they get one of them naked and, and all that stuff, it's so creepy and so so morally reprehensible and that's why it happens. It's almost like she's summoned from this act of, of, of misogyny. Well, he picks out this particular girl that he likes from the applications. So before he's even got to the interview stage, he's got one girl in mind that he particularly likes. Mm. Yeah, and he sees her in the uh, in the interview phase, likes her even more, asks her lots of questions. And then he gives her a late night call to set up a meeting, just him and her. Mm. Um, the girl gives reference for a boss who it turns out has disappeared a year ago. So you're already starting to get a bit suspicious. And then at dinner, she admits about lying, about working for that boss. And she asks for a second date. Mm. And at this point, I'm thinking, Tobes, you said this was a horrendous, horrifying film. <laughs> I've been dragged into a rom-com. Yeah. Yes, it absolutely feels like a rom-com. Pulls you into this. Yeah. 
of vulnerability, I suppose, when you're watching it, of like, mm. oh, this is this is not too bad. It's just, you know, yeah. quite nice in a way. I totally agree. I think that's one of the reasons why the rest of the film, when it does shift, is so disturbing. Because even the, the act of auditioning them, in a rom-com narrative, that would be the thing that, in about the, the middle of the film, she finds out it was all a setup, and she's mad about it. And then he's got to go to the airport to win her back. But like even that is kind of straight out of a rom-com. So we get this building up of this relationship. And as we look into it more, all of her contacts and associates don't check out. Mm. And his friend, who set the auditions up with him, tries to warn him off her, yeah. saying that something's not right here. Yeah. And then we just get the one shot of her knelt on the ground, on the floor of her sparse-looking apartment. It's just got her and a phone in it, and she's knelt in such a it's almost like it's such an unnatural way. And there's a there's, she's just staring at this phone, and there's a body bag there that's got someone yeah. in or something in, and that's the first time we get some creepy music. But still very ambiguous. Like we're not sure what to make of it, and then we're back into the rom com yeah. sort of thing, and we forget about the weirdness that happened. Yeah, so so yeah, yeah, you're right. It jumps back to him, and he's um, you know building up which way he's going to go. He's got a secretary who's got a bit of a thing for him, um, and she's getting married. And you know, it turns out later that he had a little fling with the secretary yeah. previously, um, and you know he's paying her off a bit. Yeah. But anyway, then he so he, he he's trying not to ring her. He's trying to take his friend's advice. But anyway, he does eventually cave, and he rings her, and all we get is the very very close-up shot of just the creepy girl's face what's her name again i forget her name asami. Asima? Asami. asami and she just gives a little smile mm. and then i gave a red wine moment because the bag jumps into life and flies <laughs> around the room so whatever's in yeah. the bag is alive oh it's horrible and then we're back into we're back into rom com again. But now we obviously know that there's something really disturbing yeah. kind of. I think this about is one of the things that, that really makes this film disturbing and that um it's the director of this, Takeshi Miguel, has made loads of horribly disturbing films, you'll be pleased to know. And one of the things that he, he does in, in a lot of these films is blurring that line between being a human being and being an object and being something that's not a human being. So there's a lot of people in bags, people in boxes, people being dismembered yeah. to the point where they don't really resemble a human anymore. And I think that is a bit like we were talking about um, your response to the decapitations in Hereditary, actually. That sort of blurring of the line between what, what you should look at and see as a human being and something that you look at and you can barely see anything human about it is, is really disturbing. They go on a second date. Mm. The last one's in the bar, then they have a, a really nice meal. Oh, and you just know at this point it's being pulled into a honey trap. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Toby. I was just going to say the, um, the the cafe, there's nothing too weird that happens there, but um, there's that shot where it goes from being filled up with people that seem to be having a nice time in the background, and then we get, uh, I think it's like a close-up into to, uh, Aoyama's face or into Sammy's face, and then when we cut back, no one's there except them. And it's yeah. really fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. And you are starting to question the the fluidity of time at this point, yes. like yeah. what's happening when So then they then it builds up for them going away for the weekend. She's decided she's going to I put I, I, in a in a very glamorous way, yeah, she is going to burn him. Um, so which is very immature of me. I think yeah. she's so. Time to bone down. He wakes up in the middle of the night. She's gone missing <clears throat> to the phone ringing and she's left. Yeah. Um, she doesn't answer the phone and he can't find where she lives, but he's determined to find her. This is just all when it starts to get super creepy and weird. Yeah. So now we've got the guy tracking her down and he ends up at this boarded up house. Mm. Is he going to go in? Is he going to walk away? Of course he's going in. He breaks in and it's some kind of ballet school. Yeah. And we know that she went to a ballet school yeah. as a kid and there's a guy in a wheelchair and we get all these images now of, of him like burning her with some hot poker irons. Yeah. Uh. 
And he tries to warn one the main character off saying she's no good basically yeah. so then he then he he doesn't he doesn't bat an eyelid he he goes to then try and find out where she said she used to work and i've just put in about the music being so sparse but even like background noise drops out of it kind of at this point like previously you know you're in busy restaurants busy cafes now we're very much in isolated locations with not a lot of noise and sound going on in the background yeah, very minimal. We find out that this bar is closed that she claims she used to work in, and, and the owner was murdered. Yeah, chopped up, but they'd found extra body parts in the bar, and Asami had never, never actually worked there. Yeah. So we know that this massacre has gone on, and they say that they found that someone's tongue yeah. in the bar that had not belonged to any of the. People that had been there that had been disclosed as being murdered. I love this scene so much. I think one of the great things about it is that small bit. They, so they shoot it slightly off centre, don't they? And then um, the yeah. black he's interrogating about it, who lives there, says that because uh, it's it's the building that's off centre, and because the building's off centre, all of the blood poured out of the door underneath. It's so good. It's such a nice little detail to include for us to imagine. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's body parts there. There's a tongue that doesn't fit anyone that's at the scene. Do you think that's ever happened in real life? They found body parts at a crime scene that don't belong to anyone there. Definitely. I, I, well, I suppose they'd eventually always tie them to that scene, but to take body parts to a scene, yeah. I mean, it's quite extreme, I suppose, isn't it? It's a, well, I suppose it's a bit like our old friend Michael Myers taking his uh, the graves of his previous victims. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever you're into, I suppose. It's like leaving little trophies lying around. If it's good enough for Mike, then yeah. it's good enough for anyone. Who's creepier, Mike Myers or, or um, a Sammy? I think definitely a Sammy for me. She scares the hell out of me. Yeah. I mean, I know Mike Myers has this Terminator-like quality and just appears places, but the unpredictability of a Sammy... The way you get lured in. Mike Myers, Mike Myers never tries to lure you in no. to a trap. You're right. And it's this at the very start of the film we have um a pretty innocuous scene of, of uh Aoyama and his son fishing as well. And this watching it again most recently for the for the podcast, I thought, Oh yeah, because he's he's being lured in by her and it gives it that horrible sense of inevitability. He's always gonna be caught. There's no other way it can go. Then we get some images of from a first-person perspective. So we're getting somebody checking out a house and we see the maid leaving the house mm. and then we see her go into the house and we see the picture of the dead wife from the start and then we see her look at the whiskey and we you, you can kind of start to put two and two together now of what's yeah. about to happen yeah. to our main character that uh, she's clearly setting up setting up how she's going to get rid of him. The dog goes missing. The dog always goes missing. So he gets home, calls the dog, can't find the dog, grabs himself a whiskey and he's immediately drugged. Yeah. And then we really start to lose perspective of time and when things are happening and this guy doesn't know what day it is or what time it is. Yeah, so we get, we get sort of revisions of earlier parts of the film as well don't we where there's something a little bit weirder about them but they are just early to the film and and we're left confusing because we're not sure whether that's something that actually happened or if it's is it something that he's imagining uh, which way it's going it's all a bit crazy and then we get the classic and then he woke up and it was all a dream <laughs> during that moment. yeah where he wakes up and she's there she hasn't left from the hotel yeah and it, it just starts getting more mad mm. so yeah we've there's a there's a flashback to a restaurant we get um revealed some of asami's ab apparent abuse that she received growing up and i just put it all oh, gets weird when when he gets drugged up yes. and uh, he sees his wife his wife's there and she warns him against the yeah. sammy basically there's enough warning signs here to fear to have run Yes. He got too desperate. He went. He fell in love with practically the first girl he saw. Yeah, and a very young girl as well. He just fell into the trap, basically. We've got the the different female characters performing sex acts on him as well, oh, which yeah. was a bit weird. Yeah, his um, 
His son's girlfriend is one of them. That's very disturbing. The secretary. The secretary, The secretary. Yeah. And it was all a bit weird. And then he's now in the uh, apartment where um, the bag guy was, so the guy in the bag. And there was another red moment when the bag guy moved again as he reaches yeah. out to touch it. And, oh, it's so disturbing when the guy crawls out of the bag. It's so messed up because yeah. he's had his feet chopped off. Yeah. So he's just got these stumps. There's a lot of dismemberment going on and he can't speak properly either because his tongue's gone. So it's such an inhuman state and it's so hard to recognise anything human about him and you can't help but think about how that's been done to him because you see the scars. So it's a, a state he has been put into. He's been changed from human into whatever this is. It's horrible. It's really disturbing. Is that... Are we... It's really hard to remember when the things happened from this point on. Is this the point where we see how that thing, that person, uh, gets fed, or is that later? Yes, uh, that's the next point I've got yeah. written down. Where yeah, a Sammy is sick in a dog bowl that she feeds <laughs> to this deformed person. Oh, just thinking about that's might making me need to go to the toilet and be sick. To be fair, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's the uh... That how kind of gratefully he he laps it up as well is just absolutely it's brutal, crazy. absolutely brutal. Yeah, it's disgusting. And then we get to see Asami's stepfather burning her legs again, but this time he's more doing it kind of out of fear than uh, pleasure almost. And it's all a bit weird. Um, she then kills the stepfather while he's sat at the piano by decapitating him. She does a good job. Yeah, and you can see where Hereditary kind of took that same same thing from her. It was very similar, yeah. yeah. There's lots of flashes back to previous scenes. Then I've got back to the house with drugged main character. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so this is when he, when, he, when he comes back to and he's in the house. Yeah. And uh, um, Asami appears in like a surgical oh, gown. The costume, the costume, so 90s S&M. Yes, absolutely. Like straight out of a Nine Inch Nails video. Yes, or a Rammstein video. Yeah. It made made me think of Rammstein when they perform uh, My Entire Live, the song where they do it live and they cook the keyboardist in a giant cooking pot until Lindemann fires a giant flamethrower at him while he's sat in this big cooking pot. And it was like that. Yeah. If you've never seen Rammstein live videos, regardless of whether you like the music or not, highly recommend yeah, going on YouTube exactly. and having a little look. So yeah, she's clearly ready to uh, to do business. Yeah. She's already killed the dog. She's yeah. paralysed the main guy. Uh, then then she goes about doing the acupuncture torture. Yeah. Which is so brutal because you feel every needle going in, like even though it's not yeah. happening to you. The she, way he squirms, the way he moves, everything. Yeah. It's so horrible, but hair going It's so cutesy, and like by contrast to how absolutely appalling the visuals are, her being really cutesy, she does it. Is I don't know. It just adds a level of, of horror to it for me. Yeah, how could how could somebody seemingly so innocent and unthreatening be capable of? Yeah. This horrific act. I think the one where the one where my girlfriend walked out might well have been where she puts the needle through the tongue. That'll do it. Oof. It's yeah. it's just brutal. It's, it's absolutely the, the brutal. The, yeah. Carried up as she's putting these needles directly into his eye. Oh god. They they made a mask of uh, of the actor's face. So he's wearing a mask of his own face so that they can so yeah. they get away with making it look as um, as real as it does. It works so well. I think the special effects are, are, are incredible. It really looks like a man being stabbed in the eye and tongue. It <laughs> does. And it, 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 that's one reason why it was so disturbing. I was about to say this just before about how how he does it so well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's he, he acts it out so incredibly well. Yeah. And you can't half sell that. No, that's it, true. It's, it's so good. There's nothing he can do about it as well, so you kind of feel trapped with him. Yeah. As these things, you're completely helpless to these things that are being done. 
Yeah. And you're just thinking at this point, he's clearly just going to be acupunctured to death. Yeah, but not so. (laughs) That's not where it ends. No. So she then puts lots of the needles in his stomach that she then sits on. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you think this is bad, this is really bad, but then she chops off his feet with a wire. Yeah. And she talks to him and makes it very clear that this wire is very capable of cutting through skin and bone. Yeah. Oh. And you can't help but but at this point realise that he's going to be another man in a bag. You don't want to see Aoyama who, you know, he's done this pretty messed up thing, but he's... You know, no one's ever just one thing, are they? And we've seen him as a father and seen him as, as you know, a lonely individual. And I, I I do feel really sorry for him. It is such an appalling, thing, like unimaginably horrific thing to happen to somebody. Um, and you don't want to see him stripped of his, his humanity so wholly that it'll be that kind of weird figure emerging from the bag to eat her vomit gratefully. He doesn't deserve it at all. No. He, he's... Yes, he's done a pretty messed up thing with setting yeah. up the fake interviews. But he does treat her really nicely. Um, you know, he treats her with lots of respect and dignity mm. um, when they start dating. Yeah. And he was just a lonely, desperate guy. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, actually, because when they do the interview process, how do you feel that's presented? Do you think that we're supposed to be on board with that idea and enjoy it and it's kind of comedic or do you think we're supposed to be hesitant about it and see it as a bit messed up you'll have a better insight into this a little bit more than me in terms of how that would be perceived by different cultures so i look at that as a bit messed up but then i also respect that i'm not japanese and it's a japanese film made in japanese for a japanese audience primarily yeah that's true and so I, I can only relate to that from my perspective. Mm. I know Japan is a much more traditional and often described as quite a sexist culture. They have a lot of issues yeah. with sexism cases in Japan. Yeah. You know, no like silly things like the woman, the woman can't drink out of her glass at a table before the man drinks out of a table. And you see a little bit of that in this film where yeah. they get brought their dinner and he gives her permission to have a drink before him Yeah, uh, at the table. I suppose we kind of have that here as well, don't we, with, you know, the, the man tastes the wine and decides whether or not that should be the wine. So we still have, like, a lot of that social nuance that's rooted in sexism. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, I think it's fair to say that, um, as you did, Japan, a bit more regressive in terms of um, gender expectations. The main thing, really, I think the main difference comes perhaps not from society or culture, but maybe more from the workplace and how how protected characteristics work over here um, and how there's a lack of that really in, in, in Japan where, you know, you, you can be, you can get away with being racist and sexist and discriminative uh, to people and not really face any consequences uh, for the most part. So I think that tends to be the, the big issue there. But yeah, I'm kind of divided on how we're on how we're supposed to respond to this. I feel like it is, you know, the the some of the women are are kind of humorously presented, aren't they? So there is a sense of lightness and levity and comedy to it. Even at the point and, and this time when I watched it back I thought, God, the bit where they get the woman to get naked is so exploitative and so shocking. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. done in this kind of jolly way. So I wonder if it's got jolly music underneath it as well. Like, yeah, I've forgotten about that. It does. So the tone is very much being played as as as, as funny and light. So I wonder if we are supposed to laugh along with that, and that makes the horror more intense when we're lying on the floor looking through Ayama's perspective because it's being done to us as much as it's being done to him. We're kind of on the receiving end of her retribution as well for laughing along at the joke that was at the expense of all of those women. Well, there's lots of there's lots of really clever filming in this where to build your relationship with Yama, the main character, it's Yama, isn't it? Al Yama, yeah. Al Yama, yeah. And a lot of that's done by actually not seeing Asami's face very often. Yeah. She's either got her face covered with hair, she's mm. looking down... 
and we get lots of shots of her, particularly in an interview. So, for example, when he first clocks her waiting to come in for an interview, she's got her back to him. Yeah. And then when she's in having the interview, the shot is from behind her. Mm-hmm. So we're getting uh, Yama's facial expression and perspective and judging him without yeah. being able to see her and see how she's reacting. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So she remains ambiguous, but he remains sympathetic. Yeah. She's chopped his foot off with some wire. Yeah. It's not going well for Aoyama. It's not. If you were in that situation, there's nothing you could do, really, because you're paralysed, I suppose. That's the horror, yeah. it's just grim, isn't it? Like, it can't end quick enough. You don't really want to go on with your life after this has happened, probably. No, I always Uh, think that as well. If you were to survive. But I, I, yeah, I'm always acutely aware when I get to the point where I think I just want to die. I would not want to live like this. It's too much. There are too many things that she's done to him. Life living in a, a body sack is yeah. not 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 worth worth yeah. having, really. Yeah. And he gets very lucky because the sun come. You know what else is disturbing about this? Before I go on to this, actually, yeah. we never get given any reason at all as to why she chops off the feet that I can remember clipping a bird's wings isn't it that was the only thing I could think of with it is it's like yeah she's basically and you know what she's smart really yeah because how many times have we said over the last few weeks shoot them in the kneecap shoot them in the foot if she chops off their feet they can't (laughs) run away from her that's really true she's she's an intelligent psychopath she is um, but yeah, it's 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 a complete loss of any power or control, isn't it? So the feet are gone, so you can't run away. The tongue is gone, so you can't say anything to anyone. You're just completely at her mercy. She's even taken some of their fingers, so it's you know they they can't use tools. I guess yeah. What a horrible, disempowering state to be in. Well, that's exactly it, isn't it? And it's that it's that it is that that shift that power shift of yeah. you now can no longer look after yourself or serve yourself you will need yeah. other people to help you to live yeah because and, you can't do it on your own and maybe it is a, an inversion of you know we talked about others perhaps what we might perceive as more of a regressive um gender expectation gender roles in japan maybe this is a deliberate inversion of that as well to have that classic gender dynamic of you know submissive passive female and then the active male and we've got such an intense inversion of that power dynamic here where he's yeah. passive to the point that he's you know on the floor having his his legs cut off and his, his tongue punctured with needles he then gets saved by his son coming back unexpectedly where we think he's potentially going to be saved his son's yeah. supposed to be away for the weekend but he comes home unexpectedly and uh, Asami comes from behind him and sprays him quite quickly. And it's as soon as we get this drug element introduced into it, whatever, she's knocking him out with the chloroform mm-hmm. or whatever. But then um, Ayama wakes up back in the hotel room on his weekend away and she's there next to him. She's never yeah. left and he thinks yeah. it's all a nightmare. And then we jump back to the house. Very <laughs> quickly again. Yeah. We're on that roller coaster journey as well at that point, and I think that's done just to throw us out. Like, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, we're completely messed. We think, oh, thank God, you know, he's he's not had his foot chopped off. He, yeah. he's all right. He can get up and walks to the bathroom. Everything's normal. Yeah, she wasn't a complete psychopath. She stayed, but it's all, it's it's not. Yeah, I, I would say as well. I think the bit that bothers me most in the whole film is his son seeing what's happened to him. And we do see it yeah. in a POV shot from the son's perspective as well, don't we? And I think that's maybe worse <laughs> to imagine, is not having that happen to you, but seeing someone that you love and that's so important to you in that state. Like, that's pure horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and you, the, the long build-up to this point has, has, has given us that relationship between yeah. them where... We, you know, we care for their relationship. Yeah, he's a good dad. Anyway, we're back to the house, but the son manages to dodge the spray. Mm. And he, I put boots the bitch down the stairs after a scrap. 
because yeah. I was so involved at this point. I was like, no, you need to, need to, need him to survive this. Like, uh, go on, lad, give her a good kick in. She's done that to your dad. Do you want to mess her up, mate? Yeah, but he's so he's so nice. There's no like, you know, Hollywood pride in what he's doing. He's not like, yeah, take that, bitch. He's just like, oh, yeah. is she okay? <laughs> What's happening here? Yeah. I don't fully understand. Yeah. He's just in such shock, isn't he? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he, he goes back in, sees his dad, and they manage to ring ring through for an ambulance or whatever he calls calls, yeah. the, calls the ambulance. And she's dying on the floor. She's got a broken neck, hasn't she? And you think, oh, thank God that's over. But I was constantly expecting her to get up yeah. at any minute and, and start coming back to life, really. Yeah. But thankfully she didn't. And then it just kind of ends. Mm. Without any any answers or solutions, really. Just, yeah, I don't know if there are any. Yeah, yeah. What do you think she's trying to spray him with when she's chasing him up the stairs? It must be like a well, like a chloroform type mix or something to knock him yeah. out. Yeah. Because she must be planning to do, you know, the same mm. the same thing to uh, to to the son that she's done to the done to the dad yeah you'd think so but yeah the, I, I was the same as you you expect her to to get back up because she is I, I would say this is a supernatural horror film I think Asami absolutely comes across in that you know the, the Michael Myers uh, vein of killers that don't just seem like psychopaths there's something about them that is unexplainable like her ability to just appear when these two men are doing a particularly sexist thing and then lure one of them in and do this to them. There's something about her that's haunting and that isn't explained. When I try and picture her in my mind, I have to think quite hard to picture her face mm. because we see it so kind of infrequently in yeah. the film. So I, my my image of her is is very much like the girl from The Ring, actually. You know, head yes. down, long hair over face, yeah. wearing all white. And she wears all white a lot in the film. Yeah. Uh, gives her that kind of purity and innocence yeah. about her as well. And she does look like a little girl, even though she's obviously, you know, fully grown. There's something about yeah. her face. She looks like a child. And I think that adds to that, you know, that horrible contrast of her being so innocent and, and wearing white all the time and having the kind of long, straight hair. Um but then being someone from a Ramstein concert. And that's part of where this fear comes from as well, because not who you'd... You know, Mike Myers looks like he's going to fucking kill you because he's yeah. walking around with a big... Yeah, you, you have know what I mean? Dating. Whereas, she, you know, her, it could just be anybody. Yeah. You know, anyone that you, you don't expect. It's mm. a brilliant film. Horrifically gory. Oh, yeah. Gore factor off the scale. Yeah. Any film where you see a man get his... His foot chopped off with wire. It's it so slow. It reminded me of when I used to work on um, the deli counter at Waitrose many years ago, um, having to slice the ham uh, on that that uh, whatever the hell that machine's called. I don't remember. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was kind of like a tangible memory that I could associate with what she's doing. It yeah, there's something so real about it. Most disturbing film we've seen so far. I would, I'd say yes. Hmm. More. Some people might say Hereditary was a bit more disturbing for the decapitations, but yeah. for me, this was just a bit more fucked up. Me too. There's no, um, like you said, this, this Hereditary is a kind of, it's quite a silly kind of fantasy film when it gets down to the, the final act, which I'm there for, and, and you know, some people yeah. are. That, that sort of silliness or fantasy is not at all present in Audition. It's a much more serious, sombre film, and I think, yeah, totally. It, that makes it more disturbing for me. There's no laughs to be had with a semi. I think Hereditary would have carried more if they'd not all been naked. <laughs> that was your, your main issue, isn't it? I can't be scared of a naked person. The guy, the slightly camp, blonde-haired guy who's overweight, him. Yeah. And I, I just don't find him threatening when he's in the nude. Yeah, so overall, great film. Watch it watch it immediately but yeah. be prepared for the gore factor that comes into it yeah yeah it's not uh it's not a fun american slasher film 
it's a very different type of film. I would say yeah. if, if you end up watching this film on our, our recommendation and you find that uh, maybe enjoy isn't the right word, but if you found it an interesting experience, um, check out the rest of the, the horror films the director has made. He's made, um, I think he's made over 100 films in his lifetime. They're not all horror films. Um, but the better films of his career, I would say, are probably the horror films. So, yeah, check out uh, Mike in his strange Japanese horror films. So, this week, I watched a really good documentary done by Ben Fogel. Now, Ben Fogel's not my go-to documentary guy. Mm. And to make this even better, it were on Channel 5. So, you can imagine the kind of quality we're expecting out of this documentary. Yeah, fits in Hitler. But it was... It was Ben Fogel visiting Chernobyl, okay. the Chernobyl power plant. Mm. I was fully on board for that because I thought, yeah, yeah, Ben Fogel might get a bit fucked up here. Like, <laughs> Chernobyl's not a good place. I, let's have a little go. Yeah. Oh, it was brilliant. Basically, they've gone for – someone's come up with the idea for this documentary and Channel 5 have been all over it. Mm. But convincing a presenter to do it must have been tough. Yeah. Because they've had to rattle through, you know, quite the C list, probably. Yeah. And Fogel's, you know, maybe struggling for a bit of work and he's gone, well, that's it. I'm going to have to go into the epicenter of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. <laughs> it's the only road But it was a really good documentary because there's something about that town that is super creepy. Yeah. Because it was just abandoned. I mean, neither of us two were alive when the Chernobyl uh, disaster happened. I remember the fallout being on the news, though. People were still talking about it years later. Did you watch the the Sky uh, dramatisation of it, yes. the Chernobyl yeah, disaster? That was great. But how yeah. creepy were the the burn victims in it? Yeah. Oh, well, that whole, really that whole series was shot. I know he said film there. It kind of is, isn't it, really? It's a really long film. But that whole series was shot like a horror film and I think that was the right way to take it stylistically um, I thought it really worked yeah and this documentary with Ben Fogel basically involved him going into the, the episode so yeah he went to the control room for reactor number 4 and then he actually went into reactor number 4 like where right. the the reactor was yeah. And like, you know, he was only allowed to spend a few minutes there and it was yeah. like, you could see it still leaking out from the crappy concrete thing they put up around it. And I was like, whoa, it don't matter how desperate for work is. I don't know if I'd go in there. Like I fancy a little nosy around the Chernobyl city. Yeah. Uh, but no, I wouldn't be getting in there. No. And there, there were two things that came out of this that I did think of. First thing was, what is your line in terms of location for risk on i will yeah. i am willing to go he's to this location yeah 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 yeah. so what's what is it for you tobes where's the line of like i'm not fucking doing that that's a good question um i think chernobyl would definitely be up there <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting inside the reactor core the exploded reactor core um but would you would you go to the town to have a little note if you could do a little tour around the the abandoned city I want to say yes, because like in my imagination, I'm like, oh, that would be a really cool experience. However, if someone actually sat me down and said to me, we want to send you off here for work, I can absolutely see myself saying, no, I'll just do something else. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. If I imagine I'm like, in my imagination, I think, yeah, great, that'd be fun. But I don't know if in reality I would actually dare. I think I'd be a little bit warier than Ben Fogel. I don't know. I, I, I think I'd definitely go to the city. Yeah, like I, I think that's probably just because because I'm naive to the dangers. Mm. Um, you know, I've watched documentaries in it, but because it's invisible, you know, you can't yeah. see the you know the things firing around. At, yeah, you know, faster than the speed of light, smashing into each other. Yeah, and that creates this sense of um, naivety around it, I suppose, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, if you um, can't see it, it can't hurt you locations I'm not good at I'm, I've already talked about not being good underground so anywhere that you've got to crawl and squeeze underground not interested no not bothered about that I am um, I'm quite good I don't like heights but I'm quite good with like mountaineering and stuff so you know if you've got to go stand on the edge of the edge of something I'll 
I'll I'll have a go, but I do get the you know that slight vertigo fear of falling. Yeah. Um, I, you would not. The one place I'm not going is um, Fukushima, where they had the yes. nuclear disaster there after the that's tsunami, awful. because. Yeah. That was that's even worse than the Chernobyl one, but like the Japanese government are just like all hushing it up. Yes, one of the things that re- I remember because I was over there during the, the full lap. Um, but one of the things that really shocked me at the time um, is I think to a certain extent we all kind of put our faith and trust in, in our government. We might be slightly cynical of them um, at certain times, but there are certain things that you know we don't expect them to commit really just objectively evil acts. But one of the things uh, that came out of all the, you know, the inquest and things with um, with Fukushima was that people that lived in that prefecture, the government was, was sending the message very directly, do not leave. There's no point in leaving. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. And um, people started getting tumours and going to the doctor. And a lot of children were, were getting these tumours and their parents were taken to the doctors. And the doctors were, were told by the government to say to these people, these patients, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. But some, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a group of parents t- who were worrying took their kids over to another prefecture and got the doctors there to look, and they were like, "Oh no, these are tumours, and we need to immediately start, you know, treatment to make sure that your your kids are okay." Um, and that came out as quite a big news story. But what an awful thing for a government to do to say, "Look, we need to play this down so the rest of the world doesn't know how badly we've messed up." And part of that, yeah. You as doctors, people that have sworn to look after the people in your prefecture, you're actually going to say to them, it's not cancer, don't worry about it, when you know full well it is, because we don't want people to be alarmed. And the kids wander around with those little tags on them that say, don't come near it, me, I'm radioactive, on their on yeah. their, uh, their bags, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, there's a really good Dark Tourist episode on Netflix about it, where it's mm. basically going into the whole, this is worse than if you were to visit Chernobyl and people are still just living here like normal. Yeah, it's disgusting. My second point on this then, I suppose, is where's your your line of risk on 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 how long you're willing to stick around somewhere if you think something's going to go off? So I'm, what I'm talking about here is like, you know, I'd quite happily go and visit a volcano, but if I got a little sniff that that volcano was about to do something unpredictable, I'd be like, it's not worth the risk. I'm yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to that Fukushima incident there. Is it? I suppose it depends on the information you have and how much trust you have yeah. as to in, in the government and the information that you're being given or being told by official yeah. sources. I think it also ties into experiences that you've had throughout your life as well. So like if, like if we take your volcano example, I think because I've never seen a volcano erupt, there's something really stupid in my, my like ancient reptilian brain that is like, oh, well, I've never seen that happen, so it's probably not going to happen. Like, that's my empirical experience of volcanoes. They don't erupt because I've never actually stood at a volcano while it erupted, so it's probably not going to happen. Whereas if I was in town and there'd been a Leeds game on and people started to get rowdy, I'd be like, I'm leaving because I've seen those situations get bad. So at the earliest opportunity, I'd be like, right, in the past, this has led to this, I'm going home. Um, yeah. But yeah, with the volcano, I think I'd be stupider. And I'd be like, well... So basically, you're saying you'd be one of them guys who stood there taking a selfie with lava flowing directly yeah, at him. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but if I yeah. see too many people in football shirts, I'm going home. Yeah, that's your line. That's my line. <laughs> uh, basically, what you'd need is like... A group of like thugs to turn up yeah. at the volcano. Oh, oh, right oh, in yeah. the volcano. It's fucking kicking off now. It's kicking off. <laughs> and oh, yeah. At least I know that that's your that's my way that if if ever we're in a situation where I'm like, Tobes, we need to get out of here yeah. now. You're like, oh no, like you know, let's get a photo with my, let's get a photo of me with my head inside the lion's mouth. <laughs> and I'll be like I'll, I'll just whip my football shirt out and like start chanting at the lion from distance and then you'll be like, Fuck you know. I'll be off immediately. Yeah. One of the most stupid things I've ever seen in my life was a man who put his hand in a lion's mouth and was then yeah. surprised when the lion bit him. I'm like, how fucking stupid can you be? That is really dumb. He was kicking off saying, oh, I'm going to sue him. It was in South Africa. 
Mm. And the, basically the lions, I was only little and it was this supposedly this lion park and we got there and it turned out the lions had been drugged and it was all very uh, not good yeah. at all. But we didn't know this, you know, I was just a little kid and, my mom and, and me and my sister were like, oh, really excited to see some lions. And mum and dad naively, you know, just took us to uh, to see them because it was one of the, they had some young lions that you could get, you know, you could go in and get yeah, pictures yeah. with them or whatever. You know, very, very, very fucking naive, but yeah. you live a, you know, you learn and think, right, that was a bad thing to have, yeah. have done. We didn't know. We don't do it again. And yeah, this American guy, so like the lions, the young lions were pretty docile. And this American guy just stuck his hand in the lion's mouth. And like, it's docile. It's still a fucking lion. Yeah. Like, if you poke a lion in the face and put your hand in its mouth, don't be surprised if it bites you. And honestly, this guy's fun will just like clean off. Oh. Like, he's like, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that going to stand up in court? I put my hand directly into a lion's mouth and now I'm pissed off that the person that owns the lion has let that lion bite me. It's like uh, all of those stories you get uh, again from them, from the States. Uh, it's like, oh, I took my, my three-year-old daughter to a shooting gallery and handed her an Uzi. She killed her own sister. You're like, yeah, again, you gave a toddler a machine gun. What did you yeah. actually think? She doesn't understand the reality of that situation. You're a moron. Don't put your hand yeah. in the lion's mouth. Don't give a three-year-old a gun. That, that's my line there, though. I suppose that's a good way of deciding my line. Like, I'm happy to go inside the cage with a lion that's pretty docile, but I'm not going to put my hand in its mouth. Yeah. That's the that's my line. Yeah. Oh yeah, House of Wax is yeah, it really upsets you. The um Northerner's Guide to Horror family outing to Madame Two Swords has been postponed <laughs> uh, following this news. Oh, I hate it. Um we will rearrange the family fun day for an alternative well, location. I'll, uh, I'll tell you a story about um probably the reason I'm terrified of uh, of wax figurines, which does actually tie into um well, the London Dungeon. Um, but I'll tell you next week when we do our our episode of House of Wax about why I am abjectly afraid of these things. Uh, well, I've got a story about... Uh, I've done Edinburgh Dungeon and I've done York Dungeon and I'll save them for next week. Just, yeah. just so you know, I had to be escorted out of one. Nice. Okay, <laughs> so we'll have that. <laughs> um, so we'll pull that in. Right, we'll do House of Wax. We'll decide... Oh. We'll decide whether we're doing the new one or the old one. I'll just text you about it. If you are, if you're following this podcast and you're like, "Oh, I kind of want to watch the film that these guys are doing," maybe I'll tweet about it. Maybe I will. I'm not going to hold me down to this because I've done nothing that I've promised to say I'm going to do. Like, <laughs> just, just watch one of them and it'll be similar. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, this episode. Go watch Audition. Definitely recommend it for a great horror film. And it's it's a really good one to have in your back pocket if you've seen it, of saying, like, you know, if you want to sound interesting and have seen something a bit different that is really good and really creepy and you want to push yourself a little bit where you go, definitely watch this film. It's not, unlike Cabin Fever, it's not a waste of time. <laughs> what a review. Get in touch, email us at northernersguidetohorror at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at northernersguidetohorror.